Doug, I noticed you did no witty intro in last week's podcast. Is that just because you, you can't live without me? I have no one to bounce ideas off of. You know, I'm not going to bounce them off the wall here. What am I supposed to do? What? Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Yes Men. Uh, semi-witty intro aside, I am Lou DiPietro, back from yet another vacation this summer. To my left, as always, is my co-host, partner yeah, geez, in crime, dude. Doug Williams. The vacations are... You know what? Another 10-day one? I maximized After my vacation days. You already had a honeymoon. Wow. Let me tell you what. We Must can be nice, man. We can carry over a few vacation days from year to year here, and I hit the like next level up on the vacation days this year, and I maximized those babies to the best of my ability this year, man. I Well, that and I had a few comp days because we worked a lot of weekends early in the year. But, uh, yeah, it was nice. It was uh, actually 11 days off. So uh, sorry to make you jealous. Sorry to uh, leave I you took, on the spot here last week. I took uh, three days off myself, not close to you know your long tenured vacation <laughs> day maximized vacation. Uh, but um, it's safe to say we're both rested. I yeah. now have a cold from my vacation, which is not it's supposed to go the other yeah, way. Yeah, right? and I'm just getting over one that I that I caught coming back from my vacation. So that's a little. Yeah, little moment of suck in your. So I'm sorry. Uh, your cereal. People feel like I, I sound a little more congested than usual. Uh, that can't be too fun to listen to, but you got to live with it. Hey, you got to live with it. So, so I did listen to the podcast last week because I am nothing if not a completist. And before you go into it, just re- refresh some people's minds who may have forgotten or dire scenarios had them or not saw listening. or saw a solo Doug and just turned it off, <laughs> aka my friends. Um, oh wow, that, that hurts. No. That hurts. Um, so you had talked about the Tony Stewart situation with uh-huh. um, you know the unfortunate accident that happened up upstate New York. Uh, you talked about you know the fire Kevin Long, fire Brian Cashman, fire Joe Girardi, fire everybody train, uh, as well as Michael Pineda who made his return uh, to the major leagues um, <clears throat> on the day before you had uh, recorded the podcast. Uh, and I do have rebuttals to. All three of those um, topics. First on Tony Stewart, I know we've had this NASCAR and wrestling discussion. And the reason I believe NASCAR and wrestling are comparable, as you said, is – and I don't mean to disparage anybody who likes either when I say this. But they are perceived by the general populace to be sports – and I'm going to lump wrestling in as a sport just for the sake of saying sports – that appeal to the lowest common denominator of people. In general, if you ask most of the populace, especially the higher intelligence uh, folks in the world, they're going to tell you that NASCAR is for rednecks and wrestling is for idiots. That's going to be what people are going to tell you. Obviously, you feel NASCAR is fantastic. I enjoy wrestling. We don't enjoy the other between the two of us, but that's okay. That's what makes this podcast great. We agree to disagree. It's the land of the free, home of the brave, America. Uh, but people think that NASCAR and wrestling are for the lowest common denominator uh, of society. However, both you and I, you with NASCAR and myself with wrestling, can probably spend an hour trying to convince the other the subtle nuances, strategy, and basically in general what makes it more of an, in, you know, more of an intelligent outlet than people think. And I understand and agree to that in some respects in NASCAR that it's 
not just 43 idiots driving around in a circle for three hours. And I'm sure you would agree that as staged or as glitzy or whatever as it is that professional wrestling does require some level of athleticism and, you know, when things are done right, it's good writing or good acting or so on and so forth. So there is, there is something to that. On the Tony Stewart situation itself, I'm going to pull a name drop here. And I spent last week on vacation with my wife's family. My wife's cousin is married to someone who works in NASCAR, a television personality who I won't name here because they don't name, they don't work for yes. And immediately, like three people in our family asked her about it. And the response she gave was that the same thing you said, that Tony Stewart is perceived as a hothead. But nowhere in any frame of being would anyone think he intentionally did anything to attempt to kill, you know, the kid. Just it, it happened. It was an accident. I agree with you that it should be looked into by law enforcement and or any, you know, anything up to that. It's an unfortunate accident. Someone lost their life. Tony Stewart pulled out of the race the next day at Watkins Glen because of it. Still not racing, by the way. Still not racing. Um, You know, it's an unfortunate incident. And the phrase, you know, people are going to use is, you know, I I have to keep it PG, so I'll say poop happens. But it needs to be looked at in a more serious light than that. Yeah, you know, this is where I will say – I agree on the NASCAR thing, not just being the guys driving a circle. I also, as a kid, went to short track races at the same place as you did. Uh, When I lived in Florida, there's a speedway in New Smyrna and one in Barberville near both of my parents' houses. That, you know, short track, it's fun to watch because it's a lot different animal than a two and a half mile super speedway kind of event. And I've mentioned this before. My parents live in Daytona Beach. I've been to the Speedway. I've seen the spectacle. And I've also seen these races on these short dirt tracks. It's a lot different. And for someone like Tony Stewart, it would be like him doing that, going down to these sprint tracks and racing. You know, yes, he's killed somebody and he's broken his leg. It doesn't work out well for him, apparently, according to his track record. But that would be like, say, to take an example from here, that would be like Jack Curry writing a blog for some, you know, random Yankees fan website. On the one hand, for that website, it's a great get because Jack Curry is going to bring in fans. People know who he is. He's a great writer. He's a Yankees TV personality. On the other hand, for him, that's his life's work. He loves writing. He loves doing this. You know, that's that's the way it works. Tony Stewart loves racing. He's married to racing, like you said. <clears throat> and for the, the short track, you know, and, and the races, that's going to bring in people because people want to see Tony Stewart. Same thing happens in wrestling. When big names fall from the WWE and they go down to the independent circuit, people book them and people pay ridiculous amounts of money to go to shows with 95 guys they've never heard of just because famous wrestler X is on the show. It works that way in all sports. Um, I think that's why it's as big of a story as it is. I don't want to demean what happened in any way, shape, or form. But as you said, things like this, not to the level of fatality, thankfully, but things like this happen in lower-level sports, or lower-level motorsports, I should say. Again, just like in wrestling, there's guys that wrestle on the weekends and make $30 working at the local Holiday Inn on a card with guys nobody heard of because it's their passion. They're never going to make it big, perhaps. There's a lot of guys on those tracks that will never make it big. Sure, Tony Stewart started there, but there's for t- that Tony Stewart, there's 30 other guys who never made it. Right. So I think because Tony Stewart's involved, it's more polarizing of an incident. But when it comes right down to it, it's something that should be looked into, whether it was Tony Stewart or whether it was Joe Schmo. Right. 
I think we both agree on that. Yeah. And, and I think that's the most civil NASCAR discussion you and I have ever had, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, you know what's funny is I I think the, the part of what you just said that you would probably describe as a rebuttal is the part that I may have insinuated in my podcast last week that it may have been intentional. Um, and you just mentioned, you know, your uh, is it your brother-in-law? It's it's my wife's cousin's wife's cousin. my wife's cousin's wife. Okay, so your acquaintance with an ESPN personality told you <laughs> yeah. that you know has basically spread the word. No one thinks that for any reason this was on purpose. And no, not at all. I I, I do agree with that, and I, I want to clarify what I mean. Um, Tony Stewart's brain was not telling him, go kill Kevin yeah. Ward Jr. Run this kid over and right. ruin his life. Yeah, and, and I don't think anybody will dispute that because he's he's a hothead, but he's not a murderer. Right. Uh, what happened, black and white, I think, could describe Tony Stewart as a murderer considering he hit the guy. Yep. But I don't think in Tony Stewart's head he was trying to hit and injure and potentially kill Kevin Ward Jr. I do think that he was trying to, you know, spray him with some dirt, give yeah. him a little scare. and Big time him a little bit. Right. Exactly. A 20-year-old kid's yelling at me. I'm Tony Stewart. Yeah. Um, so, uh, again, he's not driving his sprint car towards Kevin Hart Jr. Did I say Kevin Hart Jr.? Kevin <laughs> yeah, Ward Jr.? But every, I, I didn't say his name because every time I wanted to say Kevin Ward, I was about to say Kevin Hart, and I had to stop myself. Well, you, you just let rude. me do that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, Yeah, he wasn't driving towards him at 100 miles an hour maniacally laughing with glee. It, right. was, you know, it was an accident. Right. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that um, the wrestling, we've had like an episode dedicated to the wrestling and NASCAR yep. debate, so we don't really need to have that anymore. But it is true. You know, I work around yourself and and our boss Kevin Sullivan, and you know a bunch of people in our office who are all very smart, educated, well educated people who enjoy wrestling. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm sure there's a lot that enjoy NASCAR around here right. other than you. We just right. I just don't happen to know. There I don't are, talk to people about it. There are people <laughs> that uh, you know people think that the upper class people in in the New York area like the Rangers and the Giants and the Yankees and. The middle to lower class people like the the Jets, the Islanders, and you know the Mets. <laughs> the Mets, yeah. But there's outliers in every, of course, in every sport with every team. You know, people say uh, Phillies fans are the worst. Well, there's nice Phillies fans and there's not so nice Phillies fans. People say Cardinals fans are the best. Well, there are some not so nice Cardinals fans and there's some great Cardinals fans. So it's like that with any sport too. And and I think Lou and I actually do a decent job of showing you the different types of fans that can root for NASCAR and yep. root for wrestling. Exactly. And I, I think it's smart that we can and have those conversations. And um, I, I thought that leading off with Tony Stewart in the podcast last week was kind of – it wasn't me uh, kind of trying to come up with a NASCAR story so that when you weren't here, right. I, I could talk NASCAR. No, I know you mentioned like, that. You laughed about that. The parents are away, and I'm going to be right. able to finally talk NASCAR. It wasn't that. It was no. the, really the biggest story. It was a hot-button issue. It, it deserved to be the lead of the podcast whether I was here or not. So, right. I mean, it's, it's – and like I said, it's an issue that's magnified because it's a more famous person, and it's an issue that's double magnified because Tony Stewart has the reputation of being a hothead. Right. But when it comes right down to it, it was an accident, but it needs to be investigated. Right. Um, the other other thing, Michael Pineda pitched very well last night. Uh, we're taping this on Thursday, shortly after the Yankees uh, just game won. ended. Just one. Um, he pitched very well. He's going to be a big key. I think I've said that multiple times, so there's really no need for me to rehash that. Um, 
as it pertains to the Kevin Long and everybody issue. Yeah, I want to spend. Can I just say I want to spend the rest of the the podcast talking about this with you? Absolutely. Um, you and I had this discussion yesterday when I got back from you know being away. Everybody that the fans, the general populace, Twitter, everybody whose head is being called for, unfortunately has. I use unfortunately because it's unfortunate for the people calling for their heads. Something on their resume this year that's like, well, yeah, you can call for that, but Joe Girardi has done a manager of the year job in each of the last two years under two different sets of circumstances. Last year it was Mark Teixeira was hurt, Derek Jeter was hurt, Curtis Granderson got hurt. You know, the Bat Boy like sprained his ankle at probably two or three times during the year. Ben Francisco hit cleanup on opening day, and David Adams, who's in double A right now, hit fifth on multiple occasions. That team won 85 games. This year, it's a different animal where, for the most part, guys are healthy. Derek Jeter has played more than anyone probably would have expected, minus the last week or two of you know DHing a lot. Teixeira, for all his injury concerns, is still you know played in 75% of the team's games. Brian Roberts... God bless him, was healthy all season, even if he wasn't productive. Don't I had to throw like that guy. in. No. Uh, but Brian Roberts stayed healthy. I mean, he wasn't productive, but he stayed healthy, which was a surprise to a lot of people. Gardner and Ellsbury playing every day. Ichiro playing every day when Beltran's elbow got. This year, it's Sabathia, Tanaka, Nova, Pineda have made like 40 starts between them, and half of them are Tanakas. I mean, it, it's been that kind of year for those guys. They're using Brandon McCarthy's and Vidal Nuno's and guys they've gone out and signed and scrappy guys in the rotation. And the Yankees are still right there, you know, above the 500 threshold, knocking on the door of a playoff spot. So Girardi has done the best he can with what he has for the last two years now. Kevin Long, everyone wants him fired every time anybody goes into a slump. This is a team full of guys who are in their 30s. You can say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but he eliminated the toe tap from Brian McCann's swing, and McCann's been great since then. So there's your A plus on, on Long's resume this year is that this is a guy who's taken a thirty an over thirty hitter who's been very successful somewhere else for years, struggled at the beginning of his career here, found something in his swing to fix, boom. Curtis Granderson credits him for being the one that turned him from a you know, more of a, a five tool guy into a power hitter. He has those check marks on his resume. Brian Cashman, everybody wants him gone. All he's done this year is make moves that have turned out to be gold. I mean, Brandon McCarthy has been a revelation this year. Chase Headley, you know, he's not hitting 300 with 30 home runs, but he's solidified a spot that basically a guy who'd never played third base full-time in his life and a guy who'd never played a major league game in his life were, were holding down at the beginning of the year. You know, bringing in Capuano, who hasn't won a game yet, but he's been very good. Prado. Steven Drew hasn't hit very much, but, you know, it was a good move at the time. Prado's a great move. He's done all of these things to help the team and make the team better for pennies on the dollar for the most part. I mean, he's given up Vidal Nuno, and, you know, Rafael DePaul and Jan Hervis Salarte is not a very big haul for a guy who three years ago could have probably required two or three very good prospects. <coughs> so everybody has that check mark on their resume. Problem is, if the Yankees miss the playoffs for a second year in a row, somebody's got to be the fall guy. And in, in my opinion, as, as much as I love all of them and I don't want to see anybody lose their job, at this point you look at that triad or anyone involved, 
And you wonder if what's going to happen, especially with his contract status for next year being up in the air, is if the spot that gets changed for the sake of a change is the GM because maybe you've reached critical mass with what Brian Cashman can do for this organization. Yeah. Well, you're right. And also his contract situation makes that more – Even easier. Even easier. Yeah. Um, So – in last week's podcast, I kind of go through and say how, you know, saying fire Kevin Long is as delusional, if not more delusional, than saying fire Joe Girardi. Right. And sometimes that's hard for me to argue when, you know, as a Yankee fan, but more as a member of the media, when you're watching these Yankee games, everybody is so confused. I mean, the, the Joe Girardi's press conferences have been upwards of 10 minutes lately because people keep asking him the same question. Are you just afraid that these guys aren't good anymore? Because... It is so interesting to watch these big names just not be able to hit, mm-hmm. and it's confusing. And it's a, it seems, at least on paper, as a valid concern. Right. So I said that last week, and I ever since then I've started to feel a little bit different. Um, and it's not because when I watch the press conferences with Joe Girardi, he doesn't have an answer for everything because – it's impossible to have an answer for what's going right. on. If, and, if you're the coach and you can't hit yourself. You but know? he has good enough – I don't want to call them stock answers, but he has good enough stock answers and has a good enough pulse on what's going right. on to at least be able to try. To what I'm starting to think is the hitting coach is a job that, that when you fire the guy, you're trying to kind of – it's like throwing water on fire. You're like, well, if we hire a new hitting coach, people will think we're, we're at least trying to fix this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Kevin Long's the problem. I don't think a new hitting coach would be the answer. I don't think Kevin Long's the answer necessarily. No. But he's not what's, you know, making these guys go on terrible slumps. Yeah. I think that it's Joe Girardi no scenario. I think Joe Girardi he's not about telling the media when they're having a team meeting. He said this last night. He was like, even if I had a team team meeting, I probably wouldn't tell members of the media. Right. But I do think that Joe Girardi uh, could could learn a few ways to fire up his team because this is a veteran squad, and it's a group of guys that, if they don't make the postseason, are still going to collect their paychecks and still going to end up with great resumes when they retire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can name a lot of guys on this team that that's the case for. Ichiro, Jeter, McCann, Ellsbury, Beltron. They all have good credentials. They're all going to make a lot of money and, and be successful if the Yankees make the playoffs this year or not. So, you know, I always talk about, you know, really good leaders. Like there are, are great leaders in sports. There are great coaches in sports. And a lot of people lead by example. Derek Jeter's always been like that. Uh, people just show up, do their job, and hope people are watching. Right. Derek Jeter was always kind of the guy that wanted to nurture you know, young guys, Robinson Cano, Melky Cabrera, just watch how I play the game and, and do your best to impersonate me, basically. And that's why all season long we've had various guys from various teams on our website saying how great Derek Jeter right. is and how much they've emulated. It's true. It works. Yeah. But when you're the coach of a group of veteran players, sometimes I, I get the feeling that Yankee fans just want him to blow up. Yankee fans want Joe Girardi to say, this is not acceptable. I have a lot of very good players that are not performing up to, up to where they're being, what they're being paid to do and not performing to, to the players they've been in the past. I feel like Carlos Beltran needs to you know, put more out there. He needs to hustle to first base, beat out the ground balls. You know, get a guy in at third base, put a ball in the air, do what he's been doing his whole career. I think Mark Teixeira needs to play through injuries and stay on the field. 
you know, I feel like Derek Jeter's doing a great job, but lead the players around you, Derek. It's your last season. Make it so that you're in October, no questions asked. Mm-hmm. I do think that Yankee fans like his positivity at times, but it is starting to make me wonder, you know, if you're Jacoby Ellsbury and you're like, I went 0 for 4 tonight. I'm not performing up to my up to my, you know, abilities. And then you watch Joe Girardi in the postgame like, well, I liked all his bats tonight. You may not be as motivated. You're the only one that liked all of his right, bats exactly. that night is what exactly. people are thinking. It starts yeah. to feel like the fans are frustrated, then why isn't the coach? It's it's starting to feel like his press conferences are happening while the people in the audience are reshuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? That's like, exactly that's... right. It, it's the the best way I can put it is what I just said. It's if the fans are really frustrated, then why isn't their coach? Because fans are just fans. We just watch the games yeah. and hope they win. But the coach's job and life depends on how his hitters are performing. Why is he not more frustrated? Would you say then it seems like a situation where the emotional investment in the team almost seems more valuable than the monetary investment in the team right now? Like these guys are getting paid either way, but we're not watching right. it. But we're still watching it because we have that investment. Right, and fans fans care about how much these guys are making. You know, fan, fans realize in the off season that they spent you know half a billion half a dollars. billion dollars, yeah, and that is an investment. And uh, you know, we want those guys making the big money to perform. Yeah. I mean, say what you will about Alex Rodriguez's contracts. But he helped the Yankees win a championship in 2009, and he put up MVP numbers back to back to back to back. And won three of them. Yes. So when you make this kind of money for the New York Yankees, fans are going to expect a certain amount out of you. And it's starting to frustrate Yankee fans. I mean, you and I both do a a decent amount of Twitter work, and we we help contribute to YesNetwork.com's Twitter commentary. We see what a lot of the fans are saying. People are really frustrated. And, you know, you can understand it to an extent. I mean, you look at, say, just for instance, like the way we talk about things. Here, on, we have this forum to talk about things and express displeasure or concern. About as vocal as I get on any one subject is my rant on Twitter the other day about the wave and how much I think it sucks. Because I like getting paid, so I'm not going to, like, go into things as deeply as people want. And I, under- I understand and you understand that that's where Joe Girardi is coming from. But I'm going to give a shout-out to the beat here. As I was reading this morning, Chad Jennings from um, the Journal News in Westchester does his pregame notes on the blog, the Loha blog every game. And he wrote today that about that whole press conference scenario and everything. And, and the line he used was, it almost seems as if now Girardi's questions are being answered with an unspoken, but I can understand why you're asking me that. Like, it's even to the yes, point. that's perfect. I didn't read that. It's even to the point. Read it after the game. And you should read Chad's stuff because he's great. Um, it, it's gotten to that point where it's like even Joe knows at this point. He's like, I get it. I know why you're asking. But he can't – how many times in a row can you answer the same question in a different way, especially after something like this week where, I mean, they won today. But this week so far has been an offensive disaster. You know, I mean, like there's no other way to put it. You've yeah. got five. You've got five guys out of nine in the lineup that are nowhere close to living up to their baseball card right now. And last night it was funny. Um, Kevin Kernan was asking Joe Girardi in the post game. You know, have you thought about shuffling the lineup around a little bit? And Girardi said, uh, didn't even really respond at first. He was like, What do you think I should do? And Kevin Kern was like, well, you know, he goes into it. You got, you got Ellsbury uh, batting third. Maybe he's not a total number three hitter. Maybe you move Gardner to three. You, 
and he's when the team leader in home runs is your leadoff guy. And, like, yeah. Wally Matthews tweeted at Kern and said the worst part was it really seemed like Girardi was actually listening to Kernan's lineup advice. Like, do you have an answer? Because yeah. I'm, I don't I'm have tapped one. out. And that's very true. It's an unspoken like Girardi <clears throat> gets frustrated in in with the press. He always has. It's really hard if you're a manager in New York not to. Um, most managers do after they're asked the same question a million times during the year. But it does seem like he's just – he's less angry and more just like, I uh, do you know? Because I don't. Yep. You know, I uh, here, I'm going to get negative sort of for a minute. Here's what the problem with the lineup is. They've got a leadoff hitter hitting third and a leadoff hitter hitting leadoff, but they can't put, a, they can't put either one anywhere else. But they can't put them both in the same spot. And Derek Jeter really doesn't deserve to be the number two hitter on the Yankees based on this season. But he deserves to be the number two hitter on the Yankees based on the last 19 of them. So what do you do? You're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. If you flip-flop Ellsbury and Gardner, you you really don't want Gardner trying to steal bases necessarily ahead of the big boppers. Because if he gets thrown out, you run yourself out of an inning. You really don't want Ellsbury doing that either. But you figure Ellsbury on the whole is going to be the better, the more complete number three hitter. Robinson Cano hit third last year. You want a guy who's going to be a 300-plus hitter, good home run power, drives in runs. Jacoby Ellsbury, outside of that one monster season that came out of nowhere a few years ago, has not been that his entire career. The, Neither has Brett Gardner, and yet Brett Gardner is more of that this year than Jacoby Ellsbury. Right. The, only, the only answer at the number three hole right now would be a healthy Carlos Beltran. Yep. And he's the guy who hit third at the beginning of the year when he was healthy. And Girardi also has this gigantic dislike for stacking lefties. That Wh- really frustrates which me. I, which I don't get because when you, think, when you think of a lefty specialist, I mean, the Yankees have had Boone Logan and Matt Thornton and these guys, Mike Myers, the list goes on and on. There's guys all around baseball like this. You think of this guy is on the team to get out David Ortiz. This guy is on the team to get out, insert left-handed power hitter here. Does anyone really think that a lefty specialist, like a team's going to be like, oh, Gardner and Ellsbury are back-to-back, got to bring in the lefty specialist because they're dangerous. They are dangerous hitters, and Gardner's got you know 15 home runs this year. But neither, n- neither one of them are the type, prototypical type of left-handed power hitter that you think a lefty specialist is in. I understand left-on-left is the least desirable matchup in baseball. I get it, but why not hit them one two or nine one? You know, if Gardner's such a valuable leadoff hitter, why not hit Ellsbury ninth? Why not hit Gardner ninth? You hit Gardner ninth before. There's ways to tinker a little bit. That, that I think that's all anybody wants or is asking, or from the fans or even from the media perspective, tinker a little bit. Do what you did last year and move guys around. Yes, it's a lot harder to deal with salaries and egos in the locker room when it's. Jacoby Ellsbury, Brett Gardner, and Derek Jeter you're tinkering with as opposed to David Adams, Ben Francisco, and Luis Cruz. I get that. Believe me, I get that. But you're here to win baseball games. And as much as you've got to manage people, you've got to manage your roster. You're here to win a baseball game. If you've got to do something drastic once in a while, maybe you have to do, maybe you have to do something drastic. Yeah. Derek Jeter, if he is the stand-up guy everyone thinks he is, which he is, but I'm just saying because I have to do it for dramatic effect – Derek Jeter would understand hitting ninth. You can go back to the whole thing with Jorge Posada and how he allegedly pulled himself out of the lineup when he got benched and hit ninth. And the, Derek Jeter would get it. 
I'm pretty sure Ellsbury or Gardner would get it. Would they like it? Absolutely not. Would they get it? You would think so. So like you said, the best the best option for a number three hitter may be a healthy Carlos Beltran. Maybe it's Mark Teixeira moving up and move the lineup up a little bit. Maybe it's Chase Headley. I mean, who knows? He's hit, he's hit well. Maybe it's Prado, the way he's hit lately. But you have to build your lineup in a way where you don't have a guy who should be hitting two spots higher in the lineup in a spot he's not cut out for just because that's the way you have to structure your lineup. Yeah, it would I be think a that's way, what everybody thinks. It would be a way for Joe Girardi to make a statement that's not even that dramatic. Right. You're not, you're not taking somebody out of the lineup. You're not trading or releasing somebody. It would be like, guys... Whatever we're doing, it's not working. Right. So you're going to bat eighth now. I'm going to bat so-and-so third now. Uh, you know, the problem is, to a certain extent, Lou, I-, I do think that with the amount of media flack that the Yankees would get for it, I think the negatives outweigh the positive- positives in moving Jeter. I mean, he's been a semi-decent, de- you know, consistent hitter for them this season. Mm-hmm. Keep him at number two, especially as we get into September. He may get hot because it's what he does. He's not the 300 hitter he used to be, no. but he's also not hitting 220. So he's that's been one the, of their more, the more consistent yeah. hitter, right. hitters. Uh, I really believe that the only three hitter on this team going into this year was a 280, 28 home run, 90 RBI Carlos Beltran. The Yankees looked at him as their replacement for Cano in the lineup. By that, you mean the guy who hit third for the Cardinals last exactly. year. Exactly. Right. The guy who hit third for the team that represented the National League in the World Series. Right. So it's just a series of, uh, of – uh, it's a mixture. It's a big wheel. It's a – you know, I don't really know. It's a process. It's – they need to start hitting more. And, and in order to do that, do you change up the lineup? Do you fire the hitting coach? Do you fire the coach? The bottom line is when a baseball is thrown, the Yankees hitters need to hit it further, need to hit it harder, and need to put it where the fielders aren't. Mm-hmm. And if they do that, all of these other issues will fly away. If the Yankees start scoring six runs a game, nobody's going to start asking about the lineup. Nope. If the if, if the Yankees start hitting two home runs a game, you're going to hear so many less questions about the health of Beltron. When's he coming back? Does he is there are they going to give him four days for a quarter zone shot or three? Yeah. The questions stop when when the production starts. And if Joe Girardi can do anything to facilitate that, whether it's raising his voice in the locker room, whether it's benching guys, whether it's changing the lineup, this is crunch time. You know, one of the guys on my softball team said last night that the Yankees right now to them, and this is a guy who's a diehard fan, the Yankees to them right now are that girl that you meet at a bar and you exchange numbers and you text her and you call her and she never answers you. And then just when you've given up hope, she calls or texts you and strings you along. That's that's his words for for how he described the team right now, and I, I can see it because they're like, they can do it. They got the and then they go out and they lose five in a row like they did last week, or they go out and lose two two out of three to a team in the Astros that you knew in April when they lost two out of three of the, to the Astros was a seventy win team. You can't do that. Whether it's April or August, you knew this team was what they were. You can't lose four out of six games to them, but they did. But then maybe next week, you know, maybe they sweep the White Sox and then they go to Detroit and clobber them again, and all of a sudden it's 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 back. You're back up on the on the incline of the roller coaster. It's frustrating. It's understandable. And I'll just say this: a couple of years ago, Johnny Damon was hitting leadoff, and Derek Jeter was hitting second, and Jeter was grounding into a ton of double plays and pretty much neutralizing Damon, and the lineup was flip flopped, and things got better. 
So, I mean, there's yeah, ways. I mean, there's, there's ways. An idea. You know? Shake I'm, things up. There's ways. Ma- you know, maybe Brett Gardner – put Brett Gardner hitting fifth. Is it a radical idea? Sure. Does he lead the team in home runs? No. But he's close. <laughs> you know the, what I mean? The Yankees I mean, like, may not have a guy with 70 RBIs. No, Jacoby Ellsbury leads the team. I think he's got, what, 54? They may finish the year with nobody with I mean, 70, I would guess. Maybe someone well, will get there. Michael 75? K, Michael K tweet, uh, tweeted. Michael K said it on the broadcast today that the only team whose RBI leader has a lower total than Ellsbury is San Diego, who hitting 210 as a team and scores negative runs a game. So what does that tell you? I mean, this is the vaunted Yankees lineup, and right now they, they don't look like it. In all facets. So, you know, maybe something needs to be to be done in terms of a shakeup. Maybe Carlos Beltran needs to just go get his elbow operated on and, and call it a season and say, you know what, I tried. But I'm hurting the team more by being here than I would be if I was away. Would his presence be missed? I yes. Do they have someone who can replace him? No. Yeah. But I, I would have – oh, I mean, you and I were But Marlon this. Bird is still in Philly. I'm I know, just saying. I know. But you and I were saying this before Weeks the ago. deadline. Yeah. Go get your elbow worked well, on. You'll be back in September. But that's the thing. Nothing has changed since then. No, nothing's That's why everybody better. is frustrated because nothing has changed. So, But then at least you could have told Beltran, go get the surgery, and you could have acquired somebody. Yeah. Maybe a more affordable version than Marlon Bird because Yankee fans would just say, oh, my gosh, it's another guy that we have to pay so-and-so yeah. million dollars, and uh, you know he's only here as a rental. We're five games out of the wild card. Yeah, maybe Josh Willingham wouldn't be in Kansas City. Maybe exactly. he'd be in pinstripes just it's for just, a name. I don't know. I mean, that, Beltron got hot for a little a little yeah. while, but he played right field once in Tampa Bay, and that's it. I mean, it really yeah. would have been an easy, easy solution. Go get the surgery and come back in September. You're not getting Tommy John or tearing your ACL. Yeah. What he put? I think he played it twice in Tampa Bay and, and Tuesday, and that's it. Oh, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that's why everyone is frustrated because it seems like since the last time we beat this dead horse, it's it's come back to life, asked me to stop beating it, and died again. Nothing has changed. So that's where the frustration stems from, and I get it. And I, you know, as you said, it, it even almost appears as if Joe Girardi gets it at this point, like almost to the what else do you want me to say kind of he can't say that but you know it might be in the back of his and head I, I mean i said this to you yesterday and i'm not saying fire joe girardi because no. i think he's done a great job and i i don't want anyone to think that i'm being negative no. to that extent I, and i'd agree 100 percent. but all i'm saying is i i was on i was so on his bandwagon last year because uh, uh i don't know 75 percent of what managers do in baseball is put together lineups and last year that was the problem putting a lineup of nine last year every day was really hard for him because everyone was hurt which nine guys showed up and are able to play right. and then that's what it was yeah this year it's it's the rotation that's been hurt and brian cashman has fixed that not joe girardi yep joe girardi fixed the lineup last year Joe Girardi has failed, in my opinion, to fix the lineup this year so far. I mean, yes, Brian Cashman can be blamed for the lineup as well, but he went out and got the best guys on the market. Mm-hmm. They just haven't performed. Yeah. So it's just it's hard to be a GM and a coach, by the way. <laughs> as, as Cashman would say about Derek Jeter's legs, it's everywhere down the kinetic chain you're seeing the effect of what is happening. Right. So who's, who's going to be the fall guy? All of them? None of them? One of them? Who knows? 
I don't think I'd want either job. They're so but, difficult. You know, it, whether there's whether there's no fall guy or all fall guys or one, there's going to be a, a discussion of whether or not they should or should not have been. It's like I said, there's everyone's got A pluses on the same resume as Fs. Take your pick at this point. Yeah, take your pick on who you want to blame, because you know the the players will blame themselves. <laughs> that's that's the way they're talking. You know, they're, I, well, I I didn't do my job. That's the way they are. Manager can't necessarily say that. GM necessarily can't say that. Kevin Long can't say that. So it's going to be, you know, it, it's going to be up to the uh, to the brass to figure out if someone needs to take the fall for what happened. If what happened is not making the postseason, the shining light of this Yankees team right now is their starting pitching. That's all I'll say. And if you look or if you look at the rotation. A lot of them have have Cashman's fingerprints. Yeah. I mean, the McCarthy deal for Nuno is is the is the move of the year for the Yankees. It's it's if there was an award ceremony for general manager moves, that would be that would be. That's it. a move that five years from now could be in one of our Niners of steals. Right, exactly. Like, how did you steal this guy away? It was a bold move to bring Shane Green up to start when he had like a four or five ERA in AAA. It was uh, let's let's look at uh, Chris Capuano. Yeah. He was in Triple A with the Rockies. Yeah. The Triple A pitchers in the Rockies are the single A pitchers in any other organization. I'm sure. Yeah, you, you know what? The funny thing is, he hasn't won a game yet, but he should have won like most of them. Right. Um, and he even he admits. I mean, he was the lone bad quote unquote pitching performance of this series because he didn't get out of the sixth inning and he gave up four runs, but. Even he acknowledges, like, well, I didn't do this and didn't do that, and this is what I – like, he knows exactly how why he failed, and he's a veteran. He will go out and fix it. The funny thing about Shane Green is he was terrible in Tampa before they moved him up to Trenton, and he was great. And then he had a great season last year and put himself on the map, and he wasn't doing so well in the minors this year, but he's been great in the – he has that track record of when you move him up, he succeeds. That's a savvy move. That's, you know, bringing him in. Was it out of necessity a little bit? Sure, but savvy nonetheless. You know, we'll see what we get out of Pineda. So far, so decent in his first two starts, despite the fact that he hasn't won either one of them. Um, yeah, I'm not a big winning games guy, yeah. but I don't know. But you know what? I, I, I've been the guy all year that's been the this team can do it. They You know, if they get this back and this goes right and this goes right and this goes right. And at this point, I'm watching this and going – I don't know. It's making me, the ultimate optimist, wonder if I'm wrong to an extent. Like, well, can they? It's making me doubt my thoughts that they can do it. And that's 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 not good. That's not a good thing for a fan to think. You know, I mean, that's I, – I've always been the one who's railed against people like, you know, you're not a true fan if you don't believe this. Uh, but I get it now, man. Like, I just – I get it. The fan part of me gets it. Just like the, you think that part of Joe Girardi gets it, and the media gets it. What he's thinking, it's it sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's you you you'd either rather have a team winning ninety percent of their games and cruising to the playoffs, or be a team like the Astros, where you know what, enjoy it because they're not going anywhere. The being in the middle is the most nerve wracking part of being a sports fan. Problem is, well, it's not a problem. I would say maybe it's a positive for Yankee fans. Last year, you knew what your team was, and you knew that the ceiling was only so high. Yep. The ceiling could not be higher right now for the Yankees' offense. Yep. It's there. It's it's the past, but there's a ceiling that's very high. Yep. 
Masahiro Tanaka is coming back. Derek Jeter may play like he's heads on fire in September because that's it. He's leaving it all on the table. I mean, Mariano Rivera, it seemed like his velocity continued to go up last year because he threw every pitch as if it may be his last, which it very well could have. It's really hard to count these guys out. That's why people keep tweeting at me, season's over. Well, you're going to keep watching because you know – that the possibility of this team coming together, yep. starting to score some runs, Tanaka comes back, suddenly you got, you know, Tanaka, Pineda, Kuroda, McCarthy in your rotation. Yep. Things are looking up a little bit. You got a solid bullpen. Things come together. But that's the potential that makes it so hard yep. when they lose, like you said, five straight. And because there's just as much potential as you've seen this week for them to lose two out of three to a doormat. It's just the way the ball bounces, you know? If you took everybody on this team and said that they were going to have a season that was an exact clone of their last full season, which is a qualifier I have to use because Derek Jeter and Mark Teixeira missed last year, so you can't say Derek Jeter is going to hit 170. But, you know, if you take Derek Jeter's 2012 and Texas 2012 and Beltran and McCann's 2013 and Ellsbury's 2013, and you'd be looking at a team that you'd be wondering why they don't have 90 wins already. And they haven't played up to that expectation. That's the bottom line. They need to over the next five and a half weeks if September 29th is going to be a good day in Yankee land. And I liked what I saw today. Chase Headley uh, finally drove in two runs with people in scoring, guys in scoring position. And he, you know, smacked his hands on second base and he looked at the dugout and was like, let's go. And aggressively took third base on the very next out on a ground ball to third base. I mean, the guy wants to win. They all want to start producing. If you can be that guy to, to to have your teammates watch and say, all right, let's do this, then yep. do it. And those are the things, like you said, with the positive. That's the things that make you think it's going to happen after you watch Tuesday night, Jacoby Ellsbury running from third on a contact play where a ball was hit on one hop to a shortstop with the infield in. He was thrown out by 15 feet. That's where you look back and go, oh, Christ. And then you see today like that with Chase Headley. You're like, yeah, all right, I'm right back in it. It's a roller coaster. It's going to be that way for the next what five and a half in weeks. in game season? Yeah. Like I said, they're going to need to play up to the back of their baseball cards if September 29th is going to be a good day in Yankee land. Because if not, you know what? Reserve your tee times now. Because uh, that's what's going to happen if they don't. Plain and simple. With that, I'm going to go reserve some time back at my desk and end this uh, edition of the Yes Men. Um, we'd love to hear what you think. Doug mentioned it last week multiple times. You can tweet at us. If you haven't subscribed to us on iTunes and that's how you listen to us, you know, rate and review us. Let us know how we're doing. Whether you agree, disagree, give us ideas, give us talking points. We're here for you. We're glad you're listening and we're here for you. And we want you to help us help you, I guess. Is that help me help you? Yeah. Let us know how we're doing, you know, and, and we'll uh and we'll let you know how we think we're doing. Uh next week will be interesting because the non waiver trade deadline trade deadline, I can't speak. We'll be on the horizon. And I have a challenge for you for next week. You mean the waiver trade deadline? The, the waiver trade deadline, yes. I have a challenge for you for next week. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up the show with this. I was nominated finally by two of my friends to do the ice bucket challenge. Mm-hmm. Derek Jeter did it. Everyone saw the video. Sean Kelly's done it. Jennifer Steinbrenner Swindle did it. I'm going to nominate you, and I'm going to challenge. Next week is Labor Day weekend. Next weekend. How about next Friday... You and I in the parking lot do it to each other. Video, yes, men. You and I take the ice bucket challenge. I mean, Bob's done it. Jack's done it. Kenny's done it. Michael's done it. 
me and you in the parking lot at 250 Harbor Drive next week well, dumping ice buckets over each other's I, heads. I There are going to be a few problems with that. First of all, I've already been nominated. So I, just have I. Have, I haven't done it. Me either. And I feel bad about that. Uh, you know, you have the 24-hour rule. I guess the bottom line is if you nominate someone and you do it and you donate, who cares if it happens within 24 hours? Exactly. But That's the point is raising awareness and money. I won't be here next Friday. I'm on vacation starting Thursday of next week. Hmm. Wednesday of next week. I can't remember. But – we can always figure that out. You and I are incredibly mediocre at being tech savvy, but but if you leave That's... it in my hands, maybe I will figure it out. Maybe some sort of Google Hangout, something new age, very 2011, but we're just getting on track that, with it. That's why we have video producer extraordinary Matthew Stucco downstairs because he can, can shoot it for maybe us. Maybe we can figure it out. We, maybe we won't be together when this happens. All but, right. All right. But I'm going to do it. I'm challenging you, and I say we do it together. Well, you can't some challenge point... me until you do it. Your your challenge right now is just words. It's just words. Okay. Well, then I'll do it and then challenge you and you can do it right away. How's that? So we can we can set this up. We can book it, as oh, they would boy. say in wrestling. All right. Uh, I think it would be fun. I'm going to donate. I know you're going to donate. Our company is one of the wonderful companies in the world that will match donations. Uh, you know, So they'll match it, I'm sure. And that's really the point of this thing is to raise money and awareness for, for Lou Gehrig's disease research and – you know, have some fun at other people's expense on social media while you do it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm just thinking about how this will work. But it'll be a surprise for, for the viewers out there. It'll be a surprise. And if you've loved watching everyone else get cold water dumped over my wife did it, and she didn't stop shaking for about 15 minutes. And she did it on a 90-degree day in South Carolina. So uh, I was unfortunately away playing golf, so I, I missed it. But I got to see it on video. Anyway, that's enough rambling. That's going to do it for this edition of the Yes Men. We'll be back with our last uh, last uh, podcast of the unofficial summer next week. Until then, he's Doug. I'm Lou. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.